I love the profession. I absolutely adore it. Um, I love meeting patients, greeting patients, and I like the political side of things as well, working for hygienists and therapists as part of our association. Yeah, I'm not kind of one of these girls that's just going to sort of sit back and and not be walked over, but, you know, I think we should have more rights and we shouldn't put up with a lot of things that some people do in, in dental practice, being self-employed. Hello, and thank you so much for downloading Smile Revolution, a podcast dedicated to oral health promotion, supporting career development for dental hygienists and dental therapists within the dental profession. I'm Victoria Wilson, a dental therapist, and I am so excited to bring to you poignant dental professionals who have made an impact on my career, who dedicate their lives to enhancing smiles in different parts of the world. We admire colleagues at the forefront of our profession and frequently question, how did they get there? Thanks to the transparency of my exceptional guests, we endeavour to answer your questions through delving deep to learn more about the choices they have made and the impact this has had professionally and personally. Through listening to the podcast, I hope you learn, gain inspiration and ideas of furthering your career path, supporting oral health promotion to achieve oral health for all. I am delighted to share our first sponsor, Smile Revolution, a one-off creative agency dedicated to supporting leading dental professionals at the forefront of oral health promotion. Smile Revolution's mission is to help put a stop to oral health inequalities around the world. Smile Revolution promotes the collaboration of leading dental professionals globally with award-winning creatives and the media to optimise on the communication of oral health to the public. Book your free consultation today to find out more by emailing info at smile-revolution.net. My next guest is a great friend of mine, my confidants, my go-to regarding any questions on up-to-date standards and regulations. She is so well-informed, yet on occasions does underestimate how blim and marvellous she is. She qualified in December 2003 and has been solidly working in dentistry since. Her first interview was under the fountain at the Eastman Dental School, where we all trained, and she is still working in that same practice today. She initially started in Stradbrooks as a dental therapist and soon was working as a dental hygienist as well under the umbrella of Richard Tucker periodontist. She has seen a number of changes in her career ranging from direct access and in more recent years has been consulting other practices on the implementation of Care Quality Commission CQC and has been involved with the British Society of Dental Hygienists and Therapists for 13 years. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Sarah Cox not DJ, but dental therapist to the show. So, hi everyone. So here I am in Sarah's living room today, recording my first podcast with her. So, hi Sarah, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. It's a lovely day, a bit windy, but it's nice to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, and I'm so happy that I'm recording my first podcast with you. So, Sarah (laughs) and I have known each other 
since 2001. One? Or maybe we've even been before that. Yeah. yeah a long time. <laughs> so we studied at the Eastman Dental Hospital together as dental therapists. So we went through the training together. We certainly did. Which yeah. was a journey in itself. It certainly was. <laughs> and we made it through. Yay! And we got to the end. And um, as you heard from the introduction, Sarah left the Eastman she was the first one to have a job all lined up. Yep. Um, and I'll never forget that interview under the fountain yes. where we were all watching, <laughs> thinking, oh my goodness. So interviews are nerve-wracking anyway at the best of times, but when you have your whole cohort of team looking at you because you're, you know, you're having an interview and you might get the job. Yes, it was very nerve-wracking, but, I've, you know, I managed to get the job. So you were good. sorted. Even before I was qualified, it was quite amazing. So amazing. I was really lucky. Yeah, amazing. So then you started working at Stradbrook yeah. um, in Tunbridge. Yeah. And how long were you there initially just working as a dental therapist? So basically what Mark Haswell wanted, who was one of the partners at the time, he was very busy doing implants and still had a book of general dentistry. And he felt that his implant work was getting far too busy, and he wasn't able to really give his time to his patients that needed general dentistry. So he thought it would be a wonderful idea to get a dental therapist in, so he would do the examinations, and then I would do the restorative part. That's initially what I was brought in to do. So I was working initially on the days and the afternoons where Mark was, was off, so I think it worked out about two and a half days a week. Right. And how did you, for people about to qualify that are listening, how did you arrange an interview with a dentist for a potential job before leaving dental school? Okay, so dental therapists at the time, I mean, when we were qualifying, I think there was only about 200 Maybe on the GDC register, there, there was hardly any at all. Not many people actually knew what a dental therapist was. So I actually thought, right, I need to get myself set up, get a job. Um, I was living up in London. I really wanted to go home, which is Kent in um, Tunbridge. So um, I basically made a little booklet. I constructed a booklet basically saying what a dental therapist was, how they could possibly utilise me in a dental practice, and I just sent it out to all the local practices I knew that I wouldn't mind working at um, before I qualified with my CV. And Mark got in contact. And the rest is history. Amazing. And there that's such great advice, I think, for newly qualified. Yes, so definitely. People about- yeah, yeah. It's a really good idea. And people just don't... People think about getting a dental therapist in just to do the work. What well, I kind of made the, um, the dental practice at Stradbrook realise is that they need to sort of look at how, you know, by freeing up Mark's time, by not doing, you know, basic restorative um, treatment, he had then had more time to do his more complex implant treatment. So it wasn't just about looking at the money that perhaps I was producing and the work I was producing. It was me freeing up his time so he could then produce even, you know, even more constructive um, work for the dental practice. And did you start to open up conversation about this when you started working there? Or was that prior that, to... That was actually already written in my little leaflet. So, yeah, I just needed to try and open up dentists' minds a little bit more about how, you know, we could be utilised in the dental practice. So you utilised this letter yep. saying, look, I'm, I'm here, yep. I'm about to qualify, yep. this is what a therapist can do for you in practice, yep. and this is how I see my role. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. Please get in contact. Yeah. I never knew that, Sarah. Oh, you're amazing. <laughs> Check you 
you out. Goodness, we've known each other all these years and I've just <laughs> discovered this. So that's great, great feedback, I think, and information for potential newly qualifiers. Amazing. Yeah. So you started working there yep. and you were working there for two and a half days. Yes, around that, yeah. At the time. And yep. then you started working slightly more there is that yes so basically when when I was working there after about three months one of the hygienists and were you only working there at the time yeah I was only working there at the time one of the hygienists was going on maternity leave and um I was also doing a little bit of hygiene as well not a lot my book was mainly for therapy but when we kind of agreed that I don't know let's say on the Tuesday afternoon if my Wednesday was a little bit gappy then they book some hygiene appointments in and I think they kind of realized that oh, she can do hygiene work as well, and fairly well. So um, when Sylvia went on maternity leave, they asked me whether I would perhaps do her maternity cover, which I then agreed to. So then I basically started doing her days as a hygienist and also still doing my therapy days as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was good. And I think you've just brought up a really good point there, that there may be this misconception, and there is this mis- misconception amongst some dentists out there, that if they've employed you as a therapist, maybe you're not as competent in your role in perio. But, but that... we have those two qualifications together. You know, we were running a hygiene course and a therapy course at the same time, weren't we, Vicky? So, you know, we treated exactly the same amount of patients. Well, we had to um, in our hygiene course, the same as the girls that were doing the hygiene only course. Yeah. So we are completely. But do you think there is the same consensus today in the current market out there as there was then? Mm, I don't know. I think because a lot of therapists out there at the moment are probably only working as a hygienist, unfortunately. And I think that's a shame because we're not being utilised. Um, and I think that's where hopefully a change in the NHS contract may, may help us perhaps get more girls out there that are only working as hygienists that are qualified therapists and aren't using their skills which is such a shame yeah yeah but yeah I think probably you know there were the qualified therapists only that didn't do hygiene some of them went off and did a hygiene course and then worked purely as hygienists so I think I don't know I think it depends really depends on what you're probably doing in your work yeah yeah but if dentists are thinking you know, they're, they're only employing you as a therapist. Yeah. Maybe there is a bit of work to be done to educate dentists that we are fully competent in doing as much perio as we yeah. are doing therapy. Yeah. I do think that there still should be, at undergraduate level, with, with dentists, we should be working with them more so. I mean, you know, I've worked with quite a few sort of newly qualified dentists. and Some of them are really keen on... on um, utilizing me as a therapist but they're still not sure what I can actually do mm. so I'm um, sort of like so can you take out permanent teeth you know you know you get have con- con- you know conversations like that or or you can take out primary teeth oh wow you know so yeah even though they know what a therapist is they've obviously sort of been trained about us or maybe even worked alongside us in clinics and things they're still not 100% sure what we can actually do which is really kind of frustrating and and in this day and age where we've actually got quite a few um hygienists and therapists on the gdc register now you know it's it's amazing that so many people don't actually know what we really do and what we can do so yeah it's, it's Good a shame point. so maybe we need to go into dental schools really and actually as therapists speak to the dentist and just 
really familiarise themselves, uh, really familiarise them with our roles. Yeah, but also a lot of the therapy and hygiene schools are training at the same schools that they're training dentists. So maybe the whole, you know, hygiene and therapy schools and dental schools should really utilise each other and, and work, have more of a team team group sort of role going on at undergraduate level yeah. rather than waiting for when they qualify, I think. That's Absolutely. Probably, Interesting yeah, point yeah. there. Absolutely, Sarah. Mm. Um, and just moving back to your role, so you're, you extended your time within Stradbrooks yeah. working as a therapist and also slightly more specialised in perio as a hygienist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, how did your role evolve within Stradbrooks? So, I mean, basically, yeah, I was working alongside Richard Tucker, um, as well as another hygienist, Claire. So, you know, we were doing the um, the perio side of things. And then I was obviously doing sort of your general hygiene and maintenance appointments as well. Um, and you've been there a long time. I've been so there ever since qualifying, yes. Yeah. So you must be happy there. You must be, you must feel that you've fulfilled your your duties and your roles as a therapist. Oh, definitely. I mean, when I first came along... Um, patients didn't know what I did. Um, they were a bit apprehensive. Why aren't they seeing a dentist? And actually, I now get parents of the children that I have treated in the past actually wanting to have their fillings and things done with me because they've seen how, you know, perhaps kind and gentle and not how I explain everything with their children and they want to book appointments. And I get that a lot with adults where I've treated their, their children um, for, you know, restorations and things. And they're so nervous and they haven't been to a dentist for ages and then they book themselves in with a hygiene appointment with me. And that I think that, that that to me is quite quite special really. Makes you sort of realise and and then you know it's good for the practice because they're getting patients back again that probably wouldn't have wouldn't have come really. Well, so yeah. You know, that's credit to you, but you've you've obviously pursued your vision and you know spent time and it does take time yes, it does. For, for hygienists and therapists because we know that there is a lot of maybe low morale within the profession currently at the moment you are the perfect example of putting that work in to build those relationships with those patients it does take years but you are the example that you're still in practice today yeah. in the same practice where you worked yeah, yeah. when you qualified and you're happy in yes. the profession yeah you, yeah you I love, love it i love the profession i absolutely adore it um i love meeting patients greeting patients and i like the political side of things as well working for hygienists and therapists as part of our association yeah i'm not kind of one of these girls that's just going to sort of sit back and and not be walked over, but, you know, I think we should have more rights and we shouldn't put up with a lot of things that some people do in, in dental practice, being self-employed. Um, yeah, I, I just think I, I need to keep it at grassroots level, I think, really. It's all very well going up and, and doing things on, you know, executive levels and things within the association. But if you're still not got your fingers actually at the ground level where most of your members are and most of your uh, colleagues are, you don't really have a real feel of what we want and, and what we need and, uh, yeah, what you say, yeah. 
which I really want to be speaking to you about soon yeah, yeah. in this interview because this is a big part of where you are today. Yeah. But just going back to that one point that you need to speak up for what you want. Yeah. How did you address that in practice? If maybe at any point, because we all go through it, things aren't necessarily working for our patients or the, the circumstances aren't ideal to deliver the optimal care that we wish to deliver. How did you... or how did you initially address that in practice? Did you have staff meetings where you had the confidence to speak out or were given that opportunity? Or how did you go around it, Sarah? Because you are a perfect example in my eyes of of speaking up. Yeah, communication is the thing and you have to communicate. and But you have to do it in a way that isn't insulting, isn't rude um, and get people to understand where you're coming from. So yeah, basically if I've ever got a problem... Um, and I don't think something is right, then I will either go to that practitioner and I will get them to help me. I mean, you know, when I first qualified, I was really scared of a lot of things. I remember one one time, and I think it was like an upper left six clusal, and this thing was huge, you know. I got in there and I was like, oh, so, so nervous, and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be an exposure, this is going to be exposure. And I was working away, working away, and then I said to one of my dental nurses, who was working with me at the time, oh, I'm, I'm really worried, I don't know what to do with this tooth. Um... I think, um, can you go and get one of the, the dentists? And actually, we had an endo specialist working there, and he came along, and he sort of had a look, and he said, no, no, Sarah, that's fine. You've removed all the caries. I think we just, you know, just we'll just dress it. And then afterwards, he just came up to me, and he said, I don't know how you didn't didn't expose that. That was that was quite amazing. But, you know, but I just needed reassurance, and, and I, I used to just ask. Just ask. So ask is the key and speak up and obviously yeah. be diplomatic in how you're speaking about yeah, it. Exactly. But never be scared to go and no. speak to or yeah. reluctant to speak to the clinician. And I still do that now after all these years. Which yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing That's that. Because right. I think so many people um, that I speak to, colleagues, are reluctant to go and speak to the clinician yeah. and they're scared, newly qualified. You, yeah, you think that you're sort of left, you're sort of saying, I can't do this. It's the only way to move forward. Yes. <laughs> and it is an example you have moved forward. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Thanks, Sarah. That's all right. So moving on now, I know you're, you're heavily involved and you have been for a long time with the BSDHT. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did that all start? Well, I wonder how that was then, Vicky. <laughs> So basically, it's all down to you. I think it was the OHC conference at Harrogate, I think. So it's over 2004, 2005. Maybe, yeah. And we were, it was at the presidential's dinner, which they used to have this grand affair on one of the evenings where we all used to get dressed up and had a dinner and a disco. And um, we were sat on a table with Sue Corbett, who was the current chair of the South East BSDHT at, the same, at that time. And we just got talking. And then Vicky basically said... You know, I think Sue must have mentioned, oh, we're really in need of some more committee members. <laughs> Sarah would be brilliant at that, as Vicky does. And uh, yes, basically, the rest is history. I got to talking to Sue. I was, I was really reluctant. I was thinking, my gosh, I've just qualified. You know, I haven't been around that, that long. But she was so lovely. She was like, no, we really need, you know, a bit of young blood in and, you know, come, come along. So, yeah, so I basically went along to one of their committee meetings, sat there and um, sort of, yeah, understood what it was all about. Um, I'd only attended one of their local um, branch, um, the Southeast sort of regional group meetings. Um, and it, it was it was on the smallish side, but, you know, I, as far as I was aware, that was, that was the norm. And then, um, yeah, I shadowed Sue probably for about a year as she was chair. And then she said, do you want to become chair? And I said, hell, why not? 
So yeah, so then I was chair for, oh, I don't know, a long time, maybe seven years. And then I stood down and now I am council representative for the uh, South East. So. And that is a long time and really it's taken you through your career till now. Mm. I mean, how do you feel being involved with the BSDHT has contributed to you as a person and your career? Oh, massively. It's made me look at the profession in a different light. Um, we have so much work to do and it's really difficult because, you know, there's limited resources, limited money in the association. So you can only do so much as, as that um, will let you. Um, oh, it's just great for CV and great for just meeting loads of people. I mean, you know, we get eight to ten different sort of trade reps coming to our meetings you get to know all of those you have to find this when as a, the chair I had to find speakers to come um to the meeting and um, talk to us so you know I was in contact with loads of various speakers and you get to know them because you kind of have to stay with them throughout the day and sort of show them this and show them that and um, communicate with them so yeah I've, I've met a whole wide range of people within dentistry in the UK it's been massive. And, and also the, the committee members that we've had and our members that come along. So, you know, I can go, I can go anywhere in the southeast, really. I'd, I'd probably go to a dental practice and I'll probably, oh, I know you as a hygienist, you know, because you've, you, I've on our mailing list and you've come to a few of our meetings. And, and also it's quite nice that you get to know your members because if we go to the OHC, I remember going to Liverpool and um, one of our members was on her own and we just basically said, yeah, come out with us on the Saturday night. We're having dinner. And yeah, you know, so you sort of you make friends and acquaintances and it's, it's lovely. It's really good. And I think this is amazing what you're, you're sharing, of course, because we know amongst colleagues and I'm sure you've you probably hear this again and again with your reach of, of people that you're communicating with on a daily, weekly basis is that. Dental hygiene, dental therapy, the profession can be quite isolating. Very, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot to keep on on board with, on top of. Um, new things are coming out all the time. Regulations yeah. are changing. Yeah. And you being involved with the BSDHT, like I said in my intro, you are my go-to because you just know everything. Like, you probably, do you feel, like, confident that you really are, you have that network to tap into regarding any questions and probably, do you feel really as up-to-date as you possibly can be within your role because of your role within BASDHT? Yes, I would definitely say so. Yeah, because if you're arranging speakers and things like that, you will get to know, you know, the, the sort of current thinkings and trends of certain products and certain thinkings of, you know, how you should work and things. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I think I think it's you know like you were saying, Vicky. It can be a very very lonely job, um, you know, as a hygienist because I've worked solely as a as, as a hygienist in an NHS practice as well. You know, I was on twenty minute appointments. Um, I was seeing fourteen patients in the in a, in one morning, back to back. Hardly ever saw anyone in there because I would start at eight and the dentist would start at eight thirty, and then I'd leave at one, where everyone was either sort of still working or at lunch break so some days I'd hardly see anybody and it is very lonely and I think for somebody okay obviously I've I know a lot of colleagues and I go and meet up with them regularly and things for someone that didn't do that gosh it must be lonely and you know if something's going wrong and you're not very happy you must be just sitting on that worrying 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 and you know your morale goes you know rock bottom and then you think you're not doing a very good job that is why 
I think is one of the key things about being a member of a professional organisation because it's not just the courses and the magazines and things like that. It is networking with your peers at these meetings. And I know everyone wants to do CPD online now. You know, we're seeing a massive trend of people not attending local meetings. Um, interestingly, the BDA is the same. I had a meeting with them. So their membership is falling overall. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of newly qualified dentists and hygienists and therapists thinking, oh, I don't need to join the association. What do, what do they do for me? But I, I don't I think, I think that's the wrong way of looking it's at it. It's that one-on-one human contact that Definitely. you need that's probably yeah. brought you to where you are today. And I certainly feel that with, yeah. it's the face-to-face contact, exactly. having friends. Yeah. And they are great friends in our profession. Oh, they are. I you know, know, we've got some wonderful people. Just well, I think we're wonderful anyway for doing the job that we're doing. To tell you the truth. Oh, I agree. <laughs> but you know, thanks for sharing that, and I think that is definitely what I hear as well. Not being directly on the committee and the, or any committees within BSDHT, but still involved communicating yeah. a lot with everyone within it. That you know, membership is falling, and it's so sad because it is that face to face contact that's really needed. That takes that's taken me through it. And we still, both of us, I think, really love what we do. Yeah. Since being involved since 2001, to still have the energy and the vigour to keep going on, you know, and be driven to still still do so much more. I think it is down to that one-on-one connection with all colleagues. Yeah. I, I certainly hope that listeners hear this, get involved in your associations. Yeah, no, do definitely. not do not walk away from them, stick stick with them yeah. and get involved probably. Yes, definitely. In activities they're crying out for extra help. Like the more people are probably that we have, would yeah. you? Yeah, well, definitely. We know. The more membership that we have, the more money we will have in the pot so we can go up to the meetings with the GDC and the NHS and fight our corner. I mean, you know, for me, a big thing would be, we obviously know about the prescriptions um, and trying to get, you know, local anaesthetic and for us to be prescribing that. That's one big thing that BADT and BSDHE have been, you know, doing collaborative together. But also, you know, trying to go up to the GDC, changing um, the way we're working on certain things, but also um, the NHS, getting a performer number will change the access to dentistry so many people that can't afford it it would just be amazing but you know attending meetings doing all of this publications etc it takes money and that money has to come from somewhere and that actually comes from our membership can i ask you yeah it's fine for us to say hygienist therapists get involved with the bsdht badt your organization yeah but how do they go on about if they're newly qualified they don't know the people what would you suggest they do turn up to one of the local meetings Definitely. And speak up and say, yeah, just, what can yeah. I do? We, we even have a buddy system for newly, you know, if we know that you're newly qualified or even a student, because they're open to students as well, come to us. One of us will show you around, you know, sit us down and we'll talk to you. And you can, t- we can introduce you to other members. It's also, I mean, as a student, it would be a really good way of finding out about any local jobs. Because I tell you what, you go into those meetings and you'll find that some XXX is now retiring or or cutting down their days and that dental practice is soon going to be needing a hygienist i have definitely noticed in this in this in this workforce that we get more jobs from word of mouth 
than actually that have ever been advertised. Yeah. What was this buddy... um, Buddy scheme. So, yeah, yeah, so basically, um, (laughs) if we have a new member coming along, then we can assign one of our committee meetings to that member, um, you know, to that joining um, or visiting um, person, and we just sort of stick with them and just sort of show them around and just make them not feel alone, basically. So, And do they have the possibility of contacting... This buddy afterwards? Yes, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Now, Sarah, apart from your role within BSDHT, you've obviously seen a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Um, you then got involved with CQC. The yeah, well, no, I'm not Commission. involved with the CQC, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm just... Oh, maybe I'm just, I'm just, I just like to do everything by the book, I suppose. That's one thing. This is why I love you. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so, you know... CQC um, is obviously quite um, a thing that most dental practices seem to really <coughs> get rather worried about and um, and with all the paperwork and bits and pieces. So, yeah, so I kind of, um, at the time, I was working at a dental practice that needed a little bit of help with regards to this. So I took myself off on a few courses that was um, run by the local deanery and just did loads of research online and, and with the papers and basically helped her set up her practice that she was just setting up and made sure it was CQC compliant and then from from then I basically um ran that part of the dental practice for about two years I think it was just making sure that all the audits were done and the protocols were all there and the necessary paperwork and then and you'd never done this before never done this before but you pushed yourself out there I really I really enjoyed it it was something different um, I like regulation. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. So anyone listening, anyone that feels that they like any specific area of what they do, it's okay if you've not done it before. Yeah, but you just go, go and explore it. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and and I think you're exactly that example that you yeah. we've spoken about earlier. That you talk to people and you reach out to them and say it's okay. I don't know what I'm doing, but do you want help with this? Yeah, yeah. And this. Can I just say, this led into a paid role? Yes, yes. So, yeah, that led into a paid role. And then one of the associates that used to work at that dental practice had set up his own dental practice up in Surrey. And he then basically said, Sarah, will you help me? (laughs) So, yes, so I went there and basically every Thursday, which was my day off at the time, um, helped him set up his practice and become basically CQC compliant. And also the NHS inspections, they kind of sort of are near enough the same sort of regs and what they're looking for um, and help them with their NHS inspections as well. So, so again, yeah. that's word of mouth. Yeah. Always sticking and doing what you love within and finding what you really is your niche within the profession. Yeah, yeah. Pursuing it, working hard at it. And naturally, that will let other people know about it because they'll see that you're thriving in this and it leads on to other roles. Yeah, no, definitely. And can I ask you, how did you get paid for this? Or how did, if anybody wishes to get involved in another role and develop it, how do you start that conversation about... Or where, where, because it's a different role to a hygienist in practice, so the payment structure would be different. So, Well, luckily for me, they were... Both practices were actually paying me my hygiene payment. So, and it was only, you know, it was only for perhaps a morning, um, a, a day probably to start with until I got all the paperwork running. Okay, so it was on your same hourly rate same as Same hourly rate. I think, okay. yeah, they basically yeah. respected that, you know, I wouldn't really work for anything <coughs> less. And 
and I really did work, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot I of re- reorganisation of paperwork and bits and pieces going on. But, no, it was it's, it, it's enjoyable. I mean, I haven't done it for probably about nine months because I've had other things on my mind as I'm currently pregnant. But, um, <laughs> but yes, but no, it's, it, it really is something to, um, to yeah, get into. I think there's another hygienist as well that qualified the year above us. Oh, really? Who's also doing like practice admin and practice managerial work as well, as well as her hygiene role in the practice. Mm. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think if you're a valued member of the team... There's um, scope for this. If you wish to evolve for, yeah, your exactly. role, yeah, yeah, yeah. And please get in, uh, in contact with Sarah. I'll share Sarah's email address at the end. I hope she doesn't mind. Do you mind? Um, if anyone would like to ask her more about this. Now, we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I've got my top 10 uh-huh. questions. Sarah doesn't know about these, but <laughs> I'm going to start firing away. So, can I ask you, Sarah, what is the most memorable moment in your career to date? Oh, I don't know. Um, my you head. can pass on anything. No pressure. Oh, let's think about that. No, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> so many memories. What would you have changed since two thousand and three in the profession if you could have? Um, definitely the fact that um, local anaesthetic and fluoride isn't. You know, we now have to ask for a prescription. That should. Not, I just think it's madness that this thing even happened. That we were qualified, trained to do it, used it at our discretion. And then suddenly we're told, oh, actually, you're not allowed to do this. And now you have to get a prescription because, you know, this has a massive, massive effect on patients. You know, if a patient came to me and let me just say, perhaps I could be working on my own on a Saturday morning. And, oh, you know, I've got this tooth and it really hurts. And, um, you know, and they've got a perio abscess or something. And what they need is a nice debridement under local anaesthetic. Can I do that for them? I know. No. But thanks to some very, very dedicated colleagues that are working extremely hard on this, we hope for something to change very soon. Yeah. 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 So I think I may have answered the next question for you, but maybe you have something else you'd wish to change. If you had a magic wand, what would you change for the future? Uh, Just teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. Every single member in the dental team to be treated the same. I really feel for dental nurses a lot of the time. They're very poorly paid. Um, and, you know, they're, they're doing far more work than they've ever had to do. Um, I think, yeah, they need to be recognised. I think everyone needs to be recognised in their own right. Dentists can't work without dental nurses. Um, you know, hygienists and therapists are, you know, a key part to um, just, just basically keeping patients you know, welfare in, in mind, I think, is the best thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and being a really strong team and yeah. and working... What can we do differently? <sighs> Communicate more, is it? Oh, I don't know. I think that's a, it's, it's a big, big one, that is. That really is, but... Yeah. Maybe there's room for teamwork, conferences and... Mm, or section yeah. within... Uh, lectures within conferences, absolutely. Yeah. OK, if you could turn back the clock, what would you have done differently? Sometimes, I think probably in the first three years of me working, I think I probably was thinking, why didn't I do dentistry? But do you know what now? I don't think that at all. 
I'm really happy within my role. I think I provide the best treatment that I could possibly can. I, you know, I think a lot of hygienists and therapists out there are doing adequate work and probably better work than some dentists out there as well. So, um, yeah, I don't think we should ever feel that, oh, I'm not a dentist. Don't ever feel like that. And I think a lot of people do. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... Our role is different. Yes. It's, it's specialised in a different way. Well, I know it is. No, definitely. Yeah. Exactly. We've got more focus on, you know, certain key points and we can then focus and do those really, really well. So going back to what you said at the beginning of that answer, yeah. I'm now going to ask you, so what would you have done in life other than being a dental therapist? Oh, um, oh, there's all sorts of things that I wanted to become. Um, I always, always knew that I wanted to be a nurse ever since I was little. There's so many photographs of me dressing up as a nurse and that is what I always wanted to be. And um, just wanted to help patients. And, and just I think I've always had a sort of caring nature to myself. But then obviously when I got older, I kind of realised sort of, um, I don't know, I wanted to be a district nurse. And then I also thought about microbiology and, and all geology. Oh, but you've you, chosen the yeah. right career. <laughs> so, yeah. But caring for patients was always the key thing the key. for me. Yeah. What has been the proudest moment in your career? My proudest moment? I don't know, I just... Being who I've become now, I think. Oh, that's yeah. so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. You're amazing. And what is the most rewarding element of your career? I think the most rewarding is I is having over that little nervous child that you have to do a lot of acclimatisation to do some fillings and then at the end of the treatment that you've done, I don't know, five or six fillings and they're happy as Larry and they're so happy that they give you a little painting or a little gift of something that, you know, is really quite random, but you just think, oh, it kind of melts your heart. And also those patients as well, you know, the adult patients with, you know, with perio and, you know, haven't been for many years and, and, you know, over over time you get their perio all nicely maintained and, and healthy again, which is really good. Yeah, I think those, those yeah. are the moments that really I, I cherish too and in my career. To the newly qualified, what advice would you give them that are about to leave dental school? Be patient. Remember that there is part of you that you think you, think you know everything, but the key thing is handling patience. I think that is something communicating learning to deal with difficult patients can be extremely time consuming and something you definitely do learn I remember you know if a patient wasn't very happy feeling like it was the end of the world I used to take a lot of things home with me as well like if if I had a little child that you know perhaps wasn't particularly good in the chair and you know, and I had to hand excavate the, you know, the cavity, and and you know, it was quite a traumatic thing. I used to sit there thinking, oh dear, night, did I did I take all that care out? What's going to happen? You know, there's a lot of self doubt, but you do get over that. You do, and and everything it, everything takes time and experience. Experience is definitely the key, and that only comes with time. So you just need to be patient. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And. Would you say surround yourself with those buddies? Oh, definitely. If you can. It's moments like those, like so, you know, when you're worried and something's gone wrong, and you're not too happy that maybe, you know, you tried your best to do something, but you know, certain outcomes with the patient wouldn't allow you to to do that. 
they they are the moments rather than sitting at home thinking about it. You know, I couldn't talk to my husband about it. He has no no idea about dentistry. But having someone to say, oh, you know what, you know, someone, you know, like me phoning you, just talking through, and then they go, oh yeah, I would have probably done the same, or you know, or don't worry about it. It's, you know, just it really really helps because all those little things that go on in your head slowly over time can be quite destructive. So yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that thing about being really friendly, open. And yeah, and transparent with your colleagues and your, you know, yeah, and your team members. It's good. Keeping those communication channels there with all your colleagues, like you said earlier. Um, Keeping in contact with the the guys that you qualified with. Yeah, definitely. And also know that this Smart Revolution podcast is for you to contact us to also be, we are that portal to help you at any point. So know that we are here for you. Okay. And then the final question to other dental hygienists and therapists out there, what are your tips for them if they wish to further their career? Yeah, try and find something you're really good at and passionate about and and trying to take it off on... Unfortunately, there aren't that many postgraduate courses for hygienists and therapists. There's certainly more coming, but I think, you know, we're quite... We're quite... It's quite difficult for us to have any more postgraduate sort of qualifications because we're only allowed to do certain things set out, you know, by the GDC. So, you you know, it's not like we can go, oh, fancy doing implants now. Let's go and do a degree in implants. We still won't be able to place them because our scope of practice doesn't allow us to do that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, trying to, I think we need to get more postgraduate sort of courses out there. Definitely. But they, as I said, that you know, they're doing, I've got a few people that are doing the sort of oral health um degrees and things like that and a paediatric one that's opened up at um at edinburgh but yeah i heard about that yeah yeah yeah. so yeah um find what you love find what you love keep feeling invigorated challenged yeah Yeah. and um who knows what the next step is in your career or what's around the corner waiting for you you never know stay connected with colleagues yeah definitely oh thank you so much sarah it's been amazing to have you wonderful thank you and i've learned even more about you i knew you're absolutely marvelous but i've learned even more and yeah thank you so much for your time and having me at your lovely home and making me a cup of tea and i'm sorry (laughs) for my coughing today and thank you so much for listening and please join us very soon just before I round up this podcast, I just wanted to say Sarah is more than happy for anyone to email her regarding any questions they may have. And please email her at dentalpracticeadmin at icloud.com or please email us at info at smile-revolution.net regarding any questions you have. Please don't hold back, get in contact. Thanks so much. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, I'm sure you will love our next guest. So click on subscribe to be the first to hear it. If you were inspired by the podcast today and you wish to launch an oral health promotional campaign or project, please let us know at Smile Revolution. As we're here for you leading dental professionals as your creative agency dedicated to making a success of every oral health promotional campaign and project. 
book your free consultation today, please email info at smile-revolution.net.